Jesus has abolished the law with its commandments and all of its ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was a warm summer night in Washington, D.C. a few years ago. Eight friends were gathered around a table in one of the backyards of their home. There was lots of wine. There were lots of appetizers. Toasts were being made back and forth in celebration of all the good things they had going for them. One of them later said, we just never wanted the evening to end. But around 10 o'clock, the evening came to a screeching halt because a strange man wandered into the backyard. He had a gun. He lifted the gun up to the head of one of the guests and he started demanding money. He shouted louder and louder and louder. Empty your pockets, give me what you have, but there was a problem. No one had any cash. They were in the backyard at someone's house. They weren't out for an evening on the town. They were just in someone's backyard and they had no money to give. But their pleas for understanding, they only further aggravated this assailant and they all grew fearful that something terrible, truly something terrible might take place. But then one of the women, she had remained seated at the table, she said very calmly, son, can't you see we're celebrating? Why don't you get yourself a glass of wine? Why don't you sit down at the table? Why don't you join us? And it was like a switch got flipped in the backyard. And all of a sudden, the look on the man's face, it changed dramatically. He sat down at the table. A glass was put in front of him. Some wine was poured. He took a sip. He remarked that it was the best glass of wine he had ever tasted in his life. And then he reached for some bread. And the eight guests went back to the table, and they sat down, and they continued their evening of celebration. A little while later, the man, having put the gun in his pocket, said, you know, I think I came to the wrong place. One of them said, no, I think you came to the right place. And for a while, they sat in silence. They listened to the summer bugs chirp in the air. And then he said something that no one expected. Do you think, do you think one of you would be willing to give me a hug? And so one of them stood up and did. And then the next person, and then the next person, until all nine of them were embracing in this backyard. Later, the man apologized for what he had done, and he took the wine glass with him, as if it was now part of who he was, as if this moment had really, truly transformed his life forever. It's a true story. I heard it uh, a number of years ago from a podcast from NPR called Invisibilia. It's this wonderful podcast. And they, they told this story about this moment that happened in the backyard because it's what psychologists call non-complementary behavior. The idea is that people naturally try to mirror other people and their behavior. So if someone is really, really hostile and someone is really, really calm, either the calm person is going to get hostile, which is almost always what happens, 
or the hostile person is going to get calm. Now, they say this is non-complementary behavior. It's something that we can investigate, psych psychologists, psychoanalysts, so they can, they can look at brain chemistry and, and how these things happen. But do you know what we call this in church? We call it faith. We call it faith. Because faith isn't just something that we have. It's not just something we believe in. Faith is something that's done to us. In other words, faith is a gift. It's being offered a place at the table in celebration, a place we have no business of joining. Later, when this group of friends were talking with the host from Invisibilia about what had happened in the backyard, one of them said, we had no idea, we had no idea that words, an invitation to celebration, could grasp hold of someone and really change them. You know, it kind of felt like a miracle. Kind of felt like a miracle. Why are you here? Why are you here? You know, some of you are here because you've kind of just been in church every Sunday of your life and you can't really imagine being anywhere else. Some of you are probably here because you have questions and you want those questions answered. Some of you are here because life has dealt you a raw hand and you're looking for some good news. Some of you are here against your will, which means someone brought you or dragged you here. That people come to church in person or online. You know what it is? It's a miracle. It's an invitation to a celebration that none of us deserve to attend. So no matter why you're here, hear these words. Remember that at one time you were without Jesus. You were strangers to the covenant of promise. Remember, at one time you had no hope whatsoever. You were without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood. And what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus all these years ago, what we proclaim as, as good news, the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God, these words should make us a little uncomfortable. They should surprise us. They should shock us. That we, the church, with all of our disparate ideas, all of our different ideologies, that we exist, it's almost beyond belief. I mean, look around. Like, literally look around for a moment. Look at these people who are in church with you. If you're online, look at the people who are maybe near you or are worshiping here in church today. Look around. We come from different places with different backgrounds. We're different ages. We make different wages. That such a group could come together to worship God is, in fact, it is beyond belief. Because we don't have to believe in something that we can see. Even amidst all of our warts and our bruises, all of our faults, our failures, our shame and our pain, it matters that we are here. It matters because we are what God has done. Now, we don't know a lot about the circumstances into which Paul was writing this letter 2,000 years ago. But it doesn't take much sleuthing to figure out that the community was struggling with this stunning and perhaps even unbelievable revelation that Gentiles were included in the kingdom of God. Two hostile groups, Jews, Gentiles, have been brought together by the amazing grace of Jesus. And notice the language, have been brought together. It is already done. It is already finished. 
It's already decided. Imagine, if you can, how bewildering it must have been to receive this good news. Namely, that Gentiles, who had no business, no standing whatsoever with God, no opportunity to ever gather with the people of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they are now incorporated into the promise. I mean, I cannot underscore how outside the realm of possibilities this really was. That was one thing. For a first century carpenter turned rabbi to be the Messiah, to be God in the flesh, to be the long-awaited one, it is another thing entirely that by the blood of that one who came to live and die and live again, that by him, real peace could reign supreme. Now, it might seem like church is just something you do for some time on a Sunday morning. But for Paul, whatever the church is, ecclesia, this gathering, that's where we get the word church from, whatever it is, it is far deeper and wider and more bewildering than we let it be. Because our existence now is already related to God's beyond. All that we do and experience here is refracted in light of God's future because of God's past. There were people without hope, without a promise, without God. And we were those people. But now we're not those people because we belong to God. And not just us, but God delights in drawing all things and all people together into this promise. All of the distinctions between them and us, Gentile, Jew, Pharisee, publican, Republican, Democrat, whatever, unbelievers, believers, outsiders, insiders, they are all flipped upside down, destroyed by Jesus. Contrary to how we act or believe, we can only become part of God's family through adoption. No one comes to this naturally. Because all this, it runs so counter to everything the world teaches us. Christians, as Tertullian said, Christians are made. They're not born. What we do, it's a set of habits and practices that teach us over and over again who we are and and whose we are. And it really is we. It's not just about me or I. It's about us. We, who at one time were not part of the gathering, who were not part of the ecclesia, we have received an invitation we have received an undeserved inheritance. We had no hope in the world, but now we are heirs to the great fortune called salvation. Again, look look at the verbs. They're all passive. They're all about what's already been decided. And that's notable. In Paul in the letter, he doesn't say, good for you, you decided to come join the church. Praise is on you. You made the effort to wake up on Sunday morning. No. Paul says, you were built. You were joined together. It's not something we do. It's something that's done to us. In the church, we call it grace. Because in the end, we wouldn't necessarily choose to do this kind of stuff on our own. And I don't mean just waking up on a Sunday morning and coming to hang out with a bunch of people we have nothing in common with except Jesus calls us friends. I don't mean that, but discipleship. A following Jesus It comes not because we decided to take a step forward to him. It comes when we realize that he's the one who found us. It used to be that it was just assumed that if you grew up in a community like this one, you would be a Christian. You would go to church on Sundays because that's what everybody did. Restaurants were closed on Sunday afternoon. Movie theaters weren't open because Sunday was for God. 
Well, that time, friends, is long, long, long gone. Let's go back to the way things were, right? And that time is gone. We are not getting it back. But I think it's also good news. It's good news because we are strangers in a strange land. We are navigating these uncertain and even murky waters for the church in the world today. But it's good news because we have a blessed opportunity to really ask what it means to be the church. What it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because being a disciple isn't natural. As I said, it runs counter to just about everything else we're taught. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Are you out of your mind? Who would ever think to do something like this? Maybe God in the flesh. Being Christian means we're different. It means we're different. But over the last few decades, we've avoided doing anything that might make us appear different. We don't want to seem strange or evangelical, whatever that word means. We don't want to be like those other Christians, whoever they might be. We're fine with letting our faith be one hour, one day a week. But because we've tried so hard to not seem different, it's been unclear why anyone would want to be like us. Yet Jesus is the difference who makes us different. It's him. He's the one who makes it such that we can be here together like this, even though we are different. I said in the beginning that that some of you are here perhaps because you're looking for something. Well, perhaps the truth is something already found you. Again, the text today, it's all about what God does. It's God who has called us here. It's God who has made the impossible possible. It's God who has incorporated us into something we would never choose on our own. It's God who, as Chris so vividly showed us, breaks down every dividing wall. It's God who established bountiful avenues of connection for us. Being here, being part of the church, it's only because God made it so. Now, I hope you hear that as a word of comfort Because in the end, our relationship with God, it's not about how we feel or what we say or or how we behave. Our relationship with God is based entirely on what Christ has already done for us. Look, I, I know. I know I haven't been here very long. But I've been here long enough to know that not all of us act like the good Christians we think we are all the time. Friends, I'm friends with some of you on Facebook, Okay. (laughs) You want to know what someone's really like? Go look at their Facebook page. I know we don't act like the Christians we probably should be. But that's not the point. The point is that God, who chose us before the foundation of all things, has called you and me to be part of this unbelievable thing we call the church. The church. It's a stunning claim. That in addition to God bringing together a motley crew such as ourselves, Paul says we can know what peace really looks like because we know Jesus who is our peace. Now it happens to every one of us at some point or another. We think we can go about our merry way doing whatever we want, whenever we want, when all of a sudden Jesus grabs hold of us. Now for some of us that that grabbing, it comes like the end of a shepherd's staff that just pulls us away from our own foolishness. For some of us, 
that grabbing, it comes through the words of a prayer. Rarely it comes through a sermon. More often than not, it comes through music. But that grabbing comes and, and Jesus grabs hold of us and refuses to let go. And still yet for some of us, that grabbing, it comes from the invitation to a table. Why don't you sit down? Have something to drink. Have something to eat. We're celebrating here. In the end, part of the witness of the church is to a set of words, an invitation to celebration that really can grab hold of us and really can change us forever. It's kind of like a miracle. And we are the proof. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.